What's up, live, uh, LA Live, our 710 Studios. It's the Rousseau Show podcast, and we're going to have Tim Legler on. A lot of hoops today, a lot of hoops. If you want some of the football stuff, you can check out the Ringer Dual Threat podcast, because I feel like the beginning of that on the Le'Veon Bell thing is unlike other stuff. I don't know. I just really weird. Like, the more I started digging into the Le'Veon Bell thing, I'm like, wait a minute, so nobody knew the rule about the six games thing after everybody did it for two months? I found that really interesting, Saruti, that all of a sudden it turned into... No one pointed out the fact he didn't have to come back and play to get the year and then to get to free agency. I don't think the Steelers wanted him to come back. I get into about 20 minutes worth of depth on this one, but just at least from like an internal standpoint when it happened, like when this stuff would happen during the show when we did it, I'd go, wait a minute, what? And then it seemed like no one wanted to admit they didn't know the rule. That's 100% what happened. And I am convinced that even Le'Veon's people and maybe the Steelers also did not know what the rule was. Like I, the way that they acted, the way like the way he acted specifically, I don't think he knew that he didn't have to show up. He tweeted "See you later, Miami," and went to Pittsburgh. And people said, like, I was reading all sorts of Le'Veon Bell stuff. He was seen playing pickup hoops, you know. So, like, why would you go back to Pittsburgh if you didn't have to? So, well, and there's part the, of me. Where did the ten week thing even come from? Because like, that's an older, older CBA thing. Yeah, and I, I think understand. everyone just sort of clinged to it, and then it just became fact because everyone kept saying it, and no one exactly. ever corrected anyone. It's amazing. Right. And because it was unprecedented, because usually someone would always want to come back and do this because it was a franchise guy, then the team would always want to keep him. But because it's a running back. And then the other thing is that apparently nobody knows what the actual, like, is he franchised as a third franchise or did this year not count? And I don't even think the Steelers cared. I, I, really I think they don't. want it to count as a year because then if they franchise him, they, they wouldn't possibly franchise him because it would be like 25 something million dollars. Right. It'd be the quarterback number. So. What I don't like, though, is that the people that never mentioned it are acting as if they always knew, <laughs> and that's just not true. Because it was it was such a significant part of this, then you would have said week one, oh, hey, by the way, in the now CBA, even though this is unprecedented, he doesn't need to come back week after week 10. Every single one of those dudes said he can come, he has to come back after week 10. And now those same people are saying they knew the rule the whole time, and they didn't. And that's the only part that bothers me. And and I don't want to throw anybody on the bus. Throw them, um, but it's 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 at ESPN and it's outside of ESPN. It's literally everyone, like everyone in the in the business of talking about the NFL, is a part of this thing and not knowing. So if anyone claimed that they did, they're just flat out lying. It's fine if you said I didn't know because I don't think again the, the whole point. So anyway, look, I don't. Even, I'd love to know the numbers and how many people listen to both. I'd imagine it's a really high number, so I don't want to spend a ton of time doing the exact same thing. Become from the outset of this. I just wanted to make sure both podcasts each week were very different. So let's make them different. Let's talk some hoops. Tim Legler is going to join us a little bit later. We'll do five questions with him uh, as well. So I'm going to run through this. We also have the debut of, I wanted to call it the Magic Minute, especially with their win the other night. Huh? What's Comeback up? trail, Down taking out the Sixers. Mo Bamba, right. crank it. How many people do you think think Mo Bamba's the other Mo Bamba? Like they're the same guy? Uh, Most of them. Where are you with Mo Bamba, the artist? Um, I hated the song initially, and I it's grown on me. Hmm. Uh, Songs and do that. In, in the same way that I hated the magic pick initially, and it's also growing on me. Okay. He's, like, he's shooting, what, like 34% from three? I don't know. That I'm excited. That does nothing. I, I don't. That that part I don't I don't care that he's shooting thirty four percent. I didn't think he had a jump shot, so I thought I thought this was like no, everyone's saying go bear, go bear, go bear. I didn't want go bear, so the fact that he's not go bear, I'm excited. There's your Wait a minute. minute. Who did you want them to take when they took? Mo I Bamba? don't know. I was kind of talking myself into Wendell Carter, and I know his his ceiling was sort of low, but his floor was hot. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
His floor was high, but I don't know. High floor, high ceiling. But I kind of like the way this team is Low constructed ceiling, because they're, they're literally the opposite of what everyone else is doing, so at least they're somewhat interesting. That's why we talked about this. They were too low in Simmons uh, in Simmons league pass rankings. Was that Zach Lowe's or Simmons? Oh, no, Zach Lowe. Sorry, Zach Lowe. Ah, Former right. Grantland mix up there. Let's do this. Let's talk Golden State. Let's talk a little Jimmy Butler, maybe even Mellow. Um, I have a few things, but I'm going to start with Golden State because I'm more informed on that than the other stuff. Um, we talked Butler potentially being on the Sixers, what was it, two weeks ago? Yes. When I was, when I was in Louisiana, was it? Um, so we did that, but now it's happened. So I have a bunch of these things. We were trying to do this one on Monday when I was in Vegas. It wasn't going to work out. So here we are, Wednesday, Thursday. Boom. I'm also listening to the third season of Serial. And I heard that in Cleveland slang, the streets, when they're about to tell you the story, they'll say like, okay, let me tell you it like this, boom. And then if they're really into it, they'll be like, all right, hold on, boom, boom. So I just learned that. That's me. What's that? I feel like Michael Scott asking Stanley about, about the ghetto. Um, but I don't know. I'm also reading a book on this kid, this Malaysian kid who actually was behind the money on the Wolf of Wall Street. And it's the billion dollar whale and it's unbelievable. I'm halfway through the book. It's so good. This dude was 20, Malaysia, just started meeting the right people. Next thing you know, he's moving money all over the place and he's just partying like a madman. Malaysia in the house. Good book. Okay, book recommendation. Moving on. Back to why you even subscribe to this podcast. And thank you for doing so. Rate and review. Golden State. So we know what happened. Draymond, he'll be back, but he got suspended in that Hawks game. $120,000 check for that game. That sucks. And it was because of what he said to Durant. And we saw at the end of the play in the game in question, Clippers game, Durant, Katie, or excuse me, um, Katie and, and Draymond. We already know the play. Draymond dribbled it out, which he has a propensity to do at times is what kind of makes him great, but it's also kind of frustrating. He's had, he's had a couple end of games where I felt like he tried to go coast to coast and then figure it out. And it wasn't as if he just you know, wanted to take the shot and was doing that ego hero thing, but he just wanted the ball and Katie wanted it. Okay. So then they argue, they argue on the bench and then they go back. And from what I was told, it was really bad. It was bad for anybody. Um, and yes, we know the reports that he called them the B word and that it was a lot of, we won before you were here. We won all these games, you know, and you're making this year about you. And I like Draymond. I think everybody knows that. And when I watch Draymond, there's times where I'm super frustrated where I go, you just got to let this go. You got to let this go. Like he can't handle it. It's like that guy who can never be wrong in an argument and he just never stops. And that's who Draymond is. And when he's going at rest, he just can't help himself. And I asked him about this to his face when we were in Toronto and we hung out with him and we loved him. But I said, you know, why can't you ever find a way to try to like just be a little bit more self-aware. And he just goes, dude, you know, like this is who I am. I'm the second round pick, Saginaw, you know, and if I, if I ever changed and if I didn't have this approach, I wouldn't have made 70 million bucks. And that's exactly what he said. And like, I get that point, but we're also talking about you being a suspension away from this team, maybe winning five straight titles. So it's great that your approach and your mentality is such that you have defied odds and become this miraculous and extremely unique player who I, again, I love. But there's times where you got to keep yourself in check. And he's one of those guys who apparently can't do it, and he made it personal with Durant. And I've heard some people apply the, well, I could never do that in the workplace. Again, workplace rules do not apply to yeah, pro sports, guy. okay? Yeah, I mean, congrats on your 6 for 8 and your softball doubleheader. I'm pumped for you. And, you know, I agree. I think the Ford F-150 gets better gas mileage than Silverado. But <laughs> I don't 
I don't want to, like, you know, we got to be reasonable. I like all those other parts about you. A couple extra base hits. But um, I was a little surprised that it became public. But then again, what was, like, Draymond not going to play? I mean, the stuff would have gotten out. And some of the stuff that did get out, I think, was coming from Draymond, by the way. Uh, one of the arguments that I heard in defense of Draymond that was, well, this wasn't as bad as when Draymond called Steve Kerr the B-word in 2016 and they had to be separated. And I'm thinking, wait, you're using you going after the coach? And I think Draymond may have been the source on this, so that's why I'm assuming here. Okay, let's just, let's say Draymond isn't the source, but somebody close to Draymond is, right, if we want to play that game, where I thought, the story you're trying to tell was this, your defense is this wasn't as bad as when Draymond went after Kerr two years ago? Okay, so they fought. And now it leads to a bunch of different things. And based on what I've been able to gather is that Draymond sees this as his team. He is the emotional leader. He's the guy that recruited Durant. And he takes it personal, or he will take it personally, if Durant decides to bolt. However, Draymond Green's mom didn't seem to like that perspective, as she tweeted at me, saying, when did he ever say this? He knows that it's Peter and Joel's team. Um, I, I, I really, you know, and I, it's somebody's mom. So I didn't want to get into an argument about a, a, a mom's kid on Twitter. So I'll make this kind of short. Uh, I think what it was, was how many of you all heard Dre say any of this? None. Dre knows that it is Peter and Joe's team. Uh, he knows his role. Dre's never said that. No dumb stuff like that. And obviously people loved it, right? So the fact that I even tried to address it with her and I said, hey, look, I'm talking about him being the emotional leader, blah, blah, blah. That was the dumbest thing ever because then guys are just like, oh, backtrack much? And you're like, no, yeah, okay, it's a no-win situation. Right. It's, it's, it's an absolute L across the board. Just an L, hey, what's, what's, <laughs> what's my schedule look like this week? Well, we have you taking an L Monday through Friday and then maybe <laughs> a half an L on Saturday, okay? Uh, I knew the point that I was trying to make, and it's very obvious to me. I think it's a mom who's super annoyed with everybody killing her son today and that I kind of got shrapnel taked, kind of like the Jared Goff stuff where Will Kane went over the top of me asking if Jared Goff is a bust, and Will Kane was like, absolutely. I got shrapnel taked on that one. All right, or maybe it's just take shrapnel. I'm not sure. I can understand all of Draymond's concerns about this, but he's kind of the only one that has these concerns. From what I've heard, Steph doesn't care. Clay definitely doesn't care. This is my favorite Clay quote. definitely doesn't care, yeah. My my favorite quote that I've heard is like, almost anything in life that happens, Clay says, okay, shrugs and goes, I'm going to take some jumpers. <laughs> That's what That was the quote that I was given, that I'm just like, God, he's the best. So if we want to start doing bigger picture stuff, like, what does it mean? And that's why I always thought, like, Jeff Van Gundy, when he would sit there and do broadcasts, and go, oh, Golden State's going to win the next seven or eight titles. You go, no, they're not. They're not. They're not. We are in the midst of still witnessing one of the great runs we'll ever see in NBA history. Uh, the Lakers have had it. The Bulls have had it. The Spurs have had it in a different way. The Celtics thing, 11 and 13 years, is unobtainable and, and kind of a, a sign of the times, too, where... You know, you just were able to keep your teams together a little bit longer, less teams, not diminishing it, but we have to all be honest and, and admit that it's different. So in the modern day era, like I do think that there's an argument to be made. This is the best thing we've ever seen, but it usually comes to an end because of other stuff. I don't think if this comes to an end, it's going to be because of Draymond and KD's relationship and getting in a fight. They've been arguing for years. I heard a story about them screaming at each other about like takeout food and people couldn't believe how intense and crazy it was. And then it's like they go out and ball. 
And again, like Draymond was the dude that reached out to Durant, and he felt like he was the number one recruiter for this whole thing. So that's where I think if you look at the emotional history of Draymond Green, like all of this makes a ton of sense. And yes, he crossed the line and he got punished. But if they break up this team, it's going to be because Durant decides that he wants to leave to do something else. And this is the thing with Durant that I've never quite understood is I think he left Oklahoma City to pursue basketball happiness. And he's achieved that, and yet maybe he's not as basketball happy as he thought because he's very concerned about how people talk about him. And I've talked about it before and moving the goalposts, and the haters are always going to move the goalposts on you, that if he really thinks to achieve true basketball happiness, it's to leave this situation and go do it somewhere else where there's no guarantees that it would happen. And there's certainly no track record with ownership and management and just leadership in general with the Knicks. And that's the thing that I think is scary to the Golden State Warriors is that it's the Knicks. I don't, I don't Stephen A keep saying the Lakers. I don't see that. I had somebody else text me today that it was DC and I'm like, no way. Again, I mean, this is so early. I mean, it's November. So I would never feel comfortable enough to say, like, I feel comfortable saying Clay staying. I don't feel comfortable enough saying one way or another that Durant is going to stay or going to leave. But Golden State breaking this thing up down the road. Is going to have way more to do with a luxury tax bill. We're looking at a team north of three hundred million with their tax. Where Joe Lacob's going to have to decide: Do I want to? If all four want to come back, I'll keep all four. Do I want to give Draymond this insane extension that he could be eligible for? That's more worth more than two hundred million. And that starts coming down to like, hey, we love you, dude, but we know what you're eligible for. But actually, we'd, we'd rather not pay you that. Is that okay? And what Lakeup will have to decide is, am I so competitive that I'll just suck up an unprecedented tax bill, which some people don't think he will? I don't know. I don't know how to read that one yet. Or does he go, this new arena that's worth like a billion is a real estate deal, and it's going to change the value of this team monumentally. This is such a great – like, can I suck it up with an absurd tax bill for a couple more years if all four of these guys want to stay? Uh and just go, look, how do I open up a new building and, and say I want to break up this thing? Especially if they win another championship this year. So I think what makes it interesting is because everybody's sort of rooting against it. There's more people that hate the Warriors out there than love them, which makes sense. at sports. But there's an extra special hate for them. The Durant thing leaving had started this summer when he didn't leave, by the way. right? He re-signed for the one year. But this stuff has been going on now all summer into the fall and is as – much of a, I think Ethan Strauss used this line, like, if Durant leaves, this fight will be the footnote to the story. But I still think it has far more to do with how Durant wants to chase whatever it is he's chasing, which I would sometimes argue is this extremely pointless chase. Um, but again, I was just trying to offer up some of the, the Draymond perspective on this stuff. That Look, he was wrong, but when it was describe all the different moving pieces and people talking, you know, just talking about it with people like I can kind of get how it happened. Like the fact that Draymond did this and lost it and said stuff he shouldn't have said, that's not a huge surprise either. So there you go on that. In you talking through that, I have a question for you. If you, if Durant does leave this, this summer, say it's for LA, say it's for New York. Do you think the Durantless Warriors win a title? Yeah, I think they could. I mean, that's the thing, because I feel like this West thing is deeper, but not as threatening 
and that's maybe not entirely fair. You know, let's let's see another ten games. Let's see what Utah can start doing. I mean, Utah. I went through it watching them get absolutely housed by the Mavericks. Okay, and I as soon as I was watching a game, I was about to send out this Utah Jazz thing, and I, I knew like the schedule piece. So I double check and I go. This is their second game in five nights. They're 500. And when you look through Utah's losses, you go, you know what? A lot of these losses I can kind of understand. But we were thinking they were a top four West team, and they lost by 50 to the Mavs. Like, what What the hell's going on there? So, you know, they're not as good. Houston looked really good against Denver the other night. It reminded me of, like, what we thought Houston's supposed to look like. Oklahoma City's been winning games, getting everybody back. Um, you know, there's, like, four teams that are kind of outside of the West but there's not terrible teams because Memphis has been pretty good. You know, they looked good again last night. And their team isn't just about Gasol and Conley being superstars. And they're great. Again, we understand that as they're healthy, which is rare. But when they're healthy, those two are pretty good. But it's not like they're insanely good in carrying these scrubs. They've, they've had guys three through six or seven all be pretty good contributors. And I don't know if all of their role guys are going to continue to be that. And Jack's been pretty good. The rookie, the numbers. Uh, he didn't close the game last night, though. So Memphis has been better. Sacramento, as you mentioned before, more competitive. Are they going to fall apart? Is Memphis going to fall apart? The Clippers are in this thing. So even though the West feels deeper, there isn't that Spurs team, like peak Spurs, that would mess with Golden State. Oklahoma City isn't as good as the Oklahoma City team that was up 3-1 on Golden State. Houston to this point, doesn't look like the team that was going to threaten to end this whole thing uh, last year in the Western Conference Finals. So I took a really long time to get in some other points there to answer the question, Saruti. Yeah. But unless it was a mental exhaustion thing, I could also see a post-Durant Warriors being motivated by it. Exactly. And if it's still Dre, Curry, and Clay, and how great that front office is at putting in the other pieces, you know... I don't, I don't know if I pick against them unless, you know, unless Anthony Davis and Lillard end up on the Lakers with LeBron. And then I go, okay, well, you know, now we're, now we're doing something different. But on paper, if Durant just went east with the current West, I would still pick the Warriors. How about that? Maybe I, I should have just done that. I asked the question because I totally agree with you. I think this team is still fine. I mean, not fine, but, you know, it's going to be much more competitive, but they're still capable of winning titles in the post Durant era. Yeah. Why, why, why? Wouldn't they when they did before? In fact, I think it would be it, it would be awesome, and it would kind of be a hit to Durant's image. Yeah, right. Here's a question: If you were if you were Golden State, would you trade Draymond to the Knicks for Porzingis right now, so that Durant wouldn't go to the Knicks? Oh man, uh, what's the financial situation? I'm just doing the hey make believe. Hmm. I was going to tweet it out, but I didn't want to fight with Draymond Green's mom anymore. It's true, it's, it's dangerous, no win situation. I would not do that trade now. Because I think I just think Draymond's the guy they need. Because that's the thing: if Draymond were to ever leave, like say he qualifies for the two hundred and twenty-six million dollar extension, I think is what he's eligible for. If he all team NBA or uh, first team all defense, I think I have that number right. I just don't feel like looking it up because I got to get another three things in here. Um, like that's that's kind of one of those deals. Where you're like, hey, we really like you. But then I'd go, you know what, who's, who else is crazy who's cheaper? Cause you'd need a guy with edge. I'd always have to have a guy with a little bit of edge. And that's why Draymond's so important to them, even though he's the fourth most talented guy out of that group, which isn't a knock because the other three guys are, you know, Clay's, Clay's probably a top 10 player. We just never say it. 
We just never say it. You know what's in this holiday season? Selfishness. Why buy an ugly sweater for a distant uncle when you can buy some awesome for yourself? Specifically, Bespoke Post's Box of Awesome. A box of awesome is my favorite way to treat myself every month. You know what I did? I did this. It's a grown-up move with all the travel lately. Gone on the road 24 or 28 days, by the way. feel like crap. But my box of awesome cheers me up because I go, hey, you know what? I need I need the essentials, and I have a separate travel one that I got hooked up with through these guys where I grab that, and that goes in the bag. So, like, everybody can talk about toiletry kits and all that stuff. These guys did it right, and you can too. Visit boxofawesome.com and answer a few short questions that will help them determine the boxes that fit you best. Each box goes for under 50 bucks, but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside for you. The first of each month, you'll receive an email with your box details. If you're not feeling that month's box, then simply skip it. From barrel-aging kits to limited-edition cigars, weekender bags to classy dop kits, Bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man. To receive 20% off your first subscription box, go to boxofawesome.com and enter the code Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, two S's, two L's, for 20% off your first box. Bespoke post, theme boxes for guys that give a damn. Speaking of top 10 players, Joel Embiid, he's top 10. Ben Simmons, I don't think, is. Jimmy Butler, top 20? Are people trying to argue he's top 10? Greeny had just a layup Greeny tweet as soon as they got Butler. I don't know about you, but I think this makes the Sixers the favorite in the East. <laughs> and I went, dude. And my all-time, all-time, all-time is numerous people saying Andrew Bogut and Darren Williams shifts the power to Cleveland over Golden State. Because <laughs> as soon as it's the newest transaction, everybody freaks out. Same thing happened with Melo at OKC last year. But now Jimmy Butler is with the Sixers. They lose in their de- uh, debut. I don't know what's going to happen. I uh, it's the Philadelphia thing. Even as good as they were last year, they were terrible at closing games, and they're doing it again this year. And Butler, who I think led the league in fourth quarter scoring coming in and out did, of that yeah. trade, is supposed to fix this. So I I get the trade. I like it. I wonder if Sixers fans that are super annoying are going to argue how great Sarich is now that he's not there. Um, but I do actually do like Sarich, and I would. Uh, I would say with Simmons, they became a little redundant because the great thing about Sharich when you watched him was that he was like a three, a big, huge, small forward who could handle and playmake a little bit. And it was kind of tough to pair him, whether it was Fultz or Simmons. So I don't think it makes them the favorites at all because Toronto's look great. Milwaukee's really good. Uh, the East is just deeper at the top and Boston who, you know, still the record isn't terrible, but we'd expect a little bit better. I think eight and six now. Um, and their defense is starting to just suck after being ridiculous. I know they're number one overall in defensive efficiency, but it was only because they were off the charts the first couple of weeks of the season, and their offense still stinks. So uh, I can't wait to see the Butler thing work. I have no problem with the Sixers doing it. I think the price, you could argue, is, is minimal. Um, my guess would be that they've already figured out what they're going to do with Butler, but if I were the Sixers, I would say, hey, you know that five-year 190, and we're, we're not paying you that. No one else can pay you it. We're not paying it. So... Uh, I wouldn't tell him now. I'd lie to him all season long. Yeah. Then, no, then I, don't you risk him getting mad and just saying, care. I'm out again? I don't care. I got a business to run. I mean, I know this sounds like I would just do all the stuff with the agent where I go, hey, man, we want to make everybody happy. He's a big part of our future. And he can say, I, I would BS him as he would BS me and say, well, Jimmy wants to retire a sixer. You know, we, we can all play the game. We can all say the right things. And when it comes down to it, I go, you know what I'm not doing is I'm, I'll pay you a little bit more. 
but I'm not going to give you the fifth year at $45 million. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't. I mean, I, I don't blame you at all. I wouldn't either. I just wonder. I mean, you just don't know because this guy clearly was just all about his money, and that's what went wrong potentially in Minnesota. And if you kind of cross him like that late in the game, are you playing with fire? I don't know. And, you, and I, uh, yeah. I know they didn't give up a ton of assets. They gave up some, but I, that was – man, that's just the, the price I wasn't, would do with. The price wasn't so bad. I don't know how you don't get a first out of somebody. Like usually a GM will say, hey, I don't care if you don't want to give me one of your firsts or whatever, but you're getting me a first. You're getting me a first. You're getting me a first. You know, and then for the T Wolves to think it was going to work, and then they go through this awful stretch, and then it's Tibbs going, "I don't think it's going to work." You know, but I just, I don't know if it's a hundred percent fair to crush everybody with Minnesota for how this was handled because if Jimmy, like, when exactly did Jimmy say, "I'm out and I'm going to go nuclear"? You know, did they know it in July and they think that we're going to fix it, or did it happen right in real time as we all found out, like right before the season was about to start? Because if you're doing that, like, I don't know, I don't know how you're supposed to fix this. And I don't, I hope, I feel like my tone or whatever, it's sounding as if it's negative about this thing. I love this for the Sixers. I, I really do. But let's see what happens. Let's see if it makes sense basketball wise. Because even though Simmons has these moments where he looks phenomenal and we started, you know, we started doing that thing again with the young big guys and not even, I'm talking about just bigs. I'm talking about just large basketball players. We start projecting what they can be, and I have an all-worry list that I think I'm going to start releasing here. We're going to update this maybe halfway through the season or at the end of the season. But between Towns, Wiggins, Brandon Ingram, Aaron Gordon's on my all-first-team worry list. I think Simmons is on there, not because I don't think he's good. I'd love to have Ben Simmons. But is he really going to be like this transcendent dude that we think of when we see a 6'10 handle and just end-to-end and I'm not even really knocking him, but there's just moments where I go, he's not, he's not a threat out there right now on offense. And if Butler has the ball, like these are just things I'm really, really curious about while also fully endorsing the trade, while also being extremely cautious about what I'd have to give Butler in the future. If that doesn't, I don't think that's contradicting myself. I think those are all fair things where it's just very few things in life for me are just 100% approval, total slam dunk, no other side of the argument. This goes back to, I think, my thing from last week, just saying these, the projections for these guys are always out of whack. Like we just, we just think that because they're the first pick or that they have a special rookie year that like they're always going to go at the same trajectory up and it just doesn't work that way. Um, and I, you know, I, I, all these guys have flaws. Um, you know, everybody's, everybody's darling Devin Booker, your boy. I mean, at some point, like, what, when do we start winning? When do we start seeing, like, more than just the stats? And I'm, I, there's a lot of guys, there, there are only five guys that could be top five players in the league. There are only a handful of people that could really be elite players in the league. So, you know, not everybody's going to get to that level. And we just have to, sometimes we just put these guys on a pedestal where we think they're going to be there forever and they're not. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, Towns is really good. And Wiggins had some moments in, um, what was the win against the Pelicans? Uh, yeah, but he kicked, he kicked, they're always going to keep showing you the flashes though. Right. And yeah. then, but it's never consistently every night. And then at some point you're like, Oh, that's who that person is. Like they're just not consistent. Yeah. That, that's the thing is like, could you just go, Hey, Brandon Ingram's going to be a guy that you always think is going to be better. And he's not, you know, like I'll oh, sit, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll wait the next five years. Like is Aaron Gordon going to, you know, develop a better handle and a better jump shot? I don't know. Or is this just who he is? This is who he is. That's the thing. And that's why this thing is so hard and why I am sympathetic about like, Oh, what a bust or what a terrible draft pick. And sometimes teams, teams have told me knowingly, 
Yeah, we were trying to get a superstar. And there were safer picks. There were guys that projected to be a lot safer. We knew we're probably going to be better players. But we did the Michael Porter Jr. pick. Because we were like, you know, can't get him in free agency. Our team can't trade for him. So maybe we'll get our own guy, you know? Like, not everybody gets to be Anthony Davis. Like, Anthony Davis jumps out of the scene and you go, oh, my God. You're like, look at some of these numbers. Like, do you realize how special of a group he is? And it happens pretty quickly. And other guys, we want them to be that guy, but they don't. They don't. It just, it doesn't, it's just, it's not even a knock on the other guys. It really should be more about the positive side of the argument, how special some of these dudes are. But we just keep hoping that all these other guys are going to be really, really special. And, you know, more often than not, they're not going to be. That's why I did that. That Dev, remember, I did that Devin Booker thing. I was like, well, he's could that's why be I brought awesome. it up. Yeah, right. I was like, what if he's Ben Gordon or what was the other one? Did I do Wiggins? And I was like, what if he's Jason Richardson? Yep. You that's know, terrifying and, to say too. Like you would, right, but, that would have been such I, a bummer if you had said that like his rookie year. Imagine, yeah. Imagine if you said, hey, he'll end up like being, you know, Jason Richardson. You're like, no way, no way, Wiggins. Have you seen his bouts? Like, yeah, Jason Richardson jumped out of the gym. And he put up some decent numbers. So let's do the all worry list. Um, let's finalize it. We'll go back and forth. We'll come up with our with our five. Real quick, mellow thought. Everybody hates this guy now. And it's I actually to the point where I feel bad for him, but it's it was bad. It was bad with Houston. Um it was bad with OKC. And that's Presty, Maury. Two of the smarter GMs in the league signing a guy that everybody collectively thinks stinks and can't help your team. So why is that? I do think that some teams, even the smart ones, go. Let's see how many scores we can throw out there at the same time and see if it works. Let's become. Let's try to see if there's a version of our lineups where there's a combo that is impossible to defend to try to keep up with the Golden State. You know, even Golden State bogged down with just what. When they were running out, when Iguodala was off and Houston just defended three guys with five, like Golden State didn't look good, like Golden State for six quarters. It was it was the weirdest thing. And so I do think that other teams go mellow, can shoot, stretch the floor, enough size to hold up, and then you come out and it's just, it doesn't work. So I don't, I think there are more transactions. I guess I'm just going to say this first. I don't think these guys are stupid, okay? I respect Presti and, and Maury a lot. Um, I, I think that there are transactions that happen in the league, whether it's a draft pick like I was just talking about where you're swinging for the fences, maybe with your eyes closed, or some player acquisitions where teams just go, hey, look, let's just see what happens. See if there's some sort of thing that pops with us, right? Because every metric would tell you, tell you to not bring in Mello. And Maury did it, but Maury's cost was minimal, the minimal risk there. And even though Presti took on the remaining two years of salary, which you knew Mello was going to opt out of this year, the salaries that he moved out kind of became a wash. And then Presti still was able to find a way to gain an asset in my man Dennis Schroeder, who I don't love, but to come off the bench when Westbrook's healthy and have an attacking, aggressive offensive player. Like that's a nice little piece to grab considering you're getting another team to take Mellow's contract and, and pick up their own assets. So, um, that's my mellow thing. Did we cover it all? We talked about the Jazz, right? Yeah. 50 point loss. 50 point loss. Got a little Memphis in there. I feel like I need to do a Clippers thing. I may go to a Clippers game live just to give you guys a real taste. Nice hang out with Balmer. Really local flavor. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, you, you say guys. you're more of a Clippers or a Lakers guy. 
Who me? Yeah, you seem more like a, like a Lakers because it's like traditional. It's you know it's where all the cool people are. I'm more of a traditionalist, but yeah. I mean, look, I'm not gonna. There's no part of me who's ever like I mean I'm not fanboy really of anything anymore, but I'm not gonna start like yeah this Lakers thing's awesome. I, I look I've been to Lakers games. It's awesome. It when it's right it's it's really cool, man. But yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten tickets. I mean I don't even know. I'm sure there's somebody I could ask, but I don't. Your boy Doc. Like, oh, Doc Clippers. Clippers? Yeah, no Clippers tickets. I get about four <laughs> ins with the Clippers. Okay, I'm not worried about getting Clippers tickets. Lakers tickets. I mean, I'm sure I could find a way to get a couple, but I got to make it right. I got to make sure you know whoever's coming with me. You know that might that might have to be like if Leo and I do become friends out here, or Emma Stone wants to tag along. That's a big night for you. It's a lot riding on that. Right, like Stanford Steve isn't going to take my plus one and bring <laughs> bring some knucklehead from Ansonia. Like Cousin Pat isn't – it's like Steve's like, hey, I grabbed the tickets. We're already down on the floor. We used all the drink tickets. <laughs> Let's talk to Tim Legler right after this. I'm excited about the Jimmy Butler trade. I, uh, I, I totally – like to me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, you do it, especially the pieces moving out. I worry about the contract moving down the road. But if we look at just right now, I have some real concerns about how Simmons looks at times when Butler wasn't on the team. So how do you think this Butler thing, even though he should be better at finally closing some of these wins for Philadelphia, is there concern? Are you not worried? Like, how do you think that fits together basketball-wise? No, no, 100% legitimate concern. Um, I, having said that, look, absolute no-brainer, you have to make this deal. right? So you, you have an opportunity – to add a guy like Jimmy Butler, giving up two rotational role players like Covington and Sarge, you, you absolutely do it. So now that he's there, you say, okay, now how are we going to proceed forward to make sure that everybody is playing well at the same time? I completely agree with you. Like last night was the first time I can remember watching Ben Simmons, you know, probably since the beginning of last year, where I didn't notice Ben Simmons was playing. Okay, so – that's a that was a problem in the first game. You don't draw big conclusions from that, but to think that Simmons played that way on a night when Jimmy Butler was going out of his way to be deferential because he was twelve yeah. shots. I think they said he had the fewest touches and dribbles on a game all season. <laughs> so he's obviously just got there. He's he's trying to like fit in and and get these guys respect them and be a good teammate and all that. It's just all new. His head's kind of spinning. And on a night like that, when Ben Simmons takes five shots in 31 minutes, you don't really notice his impact. It's it's legitimate concern moving forward. And I think it revolves around Simmons. And and here's why. If you really look at him, Ryan, do, do you think Ben Simmons is a better player than he was last year? What Did he add anything? Nothing. In the it looks off-season? identical. I think it's identical He's on that far. the exact same player. Right. And that's why, like, I've talked about this before, but I have, like, this group of young players that I worry about where I go, we get so excited about some of you like a yeah. Towns or a Wiggins, and Simmons is definitely in that group because you think of like what it could be, and you're right. I go, hey, look, when he's great, it's 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 so unique and it's it's awesome to watch. But there's other times where I go, did you not shoot this summer? Yeah, I think he's he might be falling into the trap, and I hope this isn't the case. And he's still so young, and, and he seems he does seem like he's got an intensity about him that he wants to yeah. be great. So hopefully that'll that'll carry the day. The truth of the matter is, I think he might be a guy that's prisoner of, hey, man, my whole life, I've been at the rim whenever I want to be at the rim. 
So he didn't add a shot at, at growing up. He didn't add a shot in the AAU circuit. He didn't add, add, add a shot when he's playing in high school. He didn't do it his one year at LSU when he when I watched him play and he was in the lane the entire game. This is different. And not only is, is, the guys you're playing is different, the coaching is different. People are going to expose your weaknesses here. And the fact that he is exactly the same, and in some ways you can say really hasn't even been as impactful this year as he was a year ago, it, it's a little bit worrisome if I'm a Sixers fan and if I'm the Sixers organization. Because for this, for this to really work completely, Ben Simmons has to be a guy that can be a threat sometimes if it's four or five times a game that the ball ends up in his hands and maybe it's just a shot without having to, okay, I've got, I've got to get to one place right now to be effective as a scorer because if you've got a guy like Jimmy Butler and you've got Embiid, that ball could spend a lot of time in certain possessions out of your hands but still end up in your hands where maybe the best play is an 18-foot jumper and he doesn't have that in his possession. So as a result, when you constantly have to catch it then at that time and get to the rim, it's very difficult to do that on a consistent basis. So that's my big concern here. Like, what is Ben Simmons going to evolve as, as a scorer and as an offensive player? And if he doesn't, this is going to be a much more difficult fit than we think. But it, I still think they, that they had to make the move. I just think that it's legit to wonder how this is going to play out with these three guys offensively. Okay, now looking back at all your years in the league, do you remember a time – Somebody, I don't, you know, I could have looked up all the transactions, but I'm just going to ask you here. Was there a time where the guy with a big kind of rep came in and it either was great or it took a while or it was a disaster where it's like the one you remember where this dude's coming into the locker room with all sorts of presence and how that story ended for the team? Yeah, no question. Mitch Richmond coming into Washington um, in, the, in the Weber trade. So we go, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're there in 96 or 97, my first two years there. 97, we make the playoffs. We lose in the first round of the Bulls, but we push them. We lose three straight, but every game is tight. That and was kind of like, next- I'm sorry to interrupt, but wasn't it a little bit like Stefan and KG and Barkley and those guys eliminated them, but it felt like they were next? Like, that's how I remember it, because Juwan was on that team with you guys, too, where it felt like, okay. Oh, well, this- we had, we had, we had Weber, Juwan, we had Rasheed Wallace, we had George Maristan, we had Ben Wallace. Uh, you know, we, we were, we were kind of loaded up front in a time when you were playing bigs, and we had, you know, Mirasan, we had five legit good big players. Um, and they decided, because they wanted to break it up a little bit, we didn't, they didn't like the chemistry, and then like Weber and Howard playing together. They thought that that was a distraction for the two of them. So they decided to make moves. Rasheed goes out west for Strickland, and then we trade Weber uh, to the Kings for Mitch Richmond. So Mitch Richmond comes in, and I mean, he was a guy that I put on my list of top five guys I ever had to guard. That's how good Mitch Richmond was in Sacramento because he could beat you any way you, you wanted to, post, free, off the dribble, whatever, mid-range. He came in, and immediately when we started struggling at the beginning of the year, he just turned out to be a guy that really disappointed me in his lack of leadership. Um, he, he had a hamstring injury then that he just shut it down when everyone was kind of knew that he could play, and, and we thought he was trying to get the free agency healthy so he could sign another contract. He didn't want to risk it. Like those kinds of things, and so as a result, yeah, major major disappointment for me at that time. All right, that was that was actually really good because he was so freaking good when he was coming over at that point. Um, the Draymond Durant thing, how do you see it? Um, I see it that Draymond Green is a guy that you know uh, he probably he's it's simmering beneath the surface at all times, right? So he's he's a guy that's got a lot of 
a lot of passion and, and almost rage, innate rage in him, it seems like, about everything related to the game. Um, I don't know. He could be the biggest sweetheart in the world in his personal life. I don't know. But he, when it comes to playing basketball, it's always been right there beneath the surface. Everybody knows it. We've seen it manifest itself. In this situation, I think he probably felt like he was being insulted or emasculated in a way because he's not capable of advancing the ball in that situation. And, and guys jumping down his throat when he's been a multiple-time All-Star and a critical guy on championship teams, that he felt like he was being shown up. And, and because it's always right beneath the surface, he completely overreacts. He, he has no break on his emotions at that time, and he just keeps going all the way through the rest of the overtime, all the way, obviously, in the locker room, we find out. And he gets very personal, it sounds like. He says things that really cross lines and make it really awkward moving forward. Now, here's what I think. People are trying to act like he's now causing Durant to leave. I personally felt like Durant, there was a very good chance he was going to leave after this year. Going into the season, I thought that way for a lot of reasons. This might cement it in his mind that, hey, man, I don't really want to play with this dude anymore. Like, that's the final straw, even though, you know, he was already maybe leaning that way. This might, this might push him over the edge. Having said that, I don't think it's going to affect the chance to win a title. They're, they're going to win because they're the best team, and these guys are too competitive to let it spill over onto the floor where now you're making weird decisions because you've got a personal thing with this dude. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, Draymond Green's not going to throw the ball ahead to Kevin Durant. And Durant's not going to throw it. Not he's not going to avoid throwing it to Draymond if he gets double teamed. And Draymond Green's at the top of the key and it's the right play. They're too competitive and they're too good, and they still want to win this year. That's not going to be a problem. But the locker room's going to be different. And for Draymond to say this could actually make them stronger is a joke. It, it can't make you stronger. But they might just be so good that even a little bit weaker, it doesn't matter. They're going to win because of the talent, not because this galvanized them. What's have you caught much of the Jazz? At all? Because before I'm last night... honest with no. Look, when we're, when we're like you know, fifteen games in or whatever we are, it, it, there's always like a handful of teams totally. that you go, man. All right, I got to start. I got to start watching, right? So yeah. the Jazz for me are on that list right now. No, I'm I'm the same way. I have I have a, a few teams that I still haven't seen enough of yet. So I I totally get it, and I, I'm sure there's. I just I, I mean, looked I saw at last that night the other night, and I was like, <laughs> "What?" You know, they lost by fifty to Dallas. Like I'm like, "What?" Um, so now they've really piqued my interest. I, I yeah. have to. I have to check them out. Check them out. Stuff. <laughs> All right, we'll check them out. And we'll we'll follow up with you there. Uh, I'm sure you have watched Boston, and yeah. defensively they were so good that they're still statistically really good, even though they haven't been. I would say the last couple of weeks, but offense is is really their problem. Um, it's a great organization with a great coach with a bunch of great players. So I'd rather have too many players and have that be my problem than just stink. Right. But how do you figure this out when you have so many guys? Uh, I don't want to say that are selfish, but you know, Jalen's head is in a certain spot. You know, Marcus Morris isn't afraid to shoot. Um, you know, there's just a lot of dudes, and then there's Tatum, and then Kyrie's going to have the ball, and Horford hasn't been terrific, and Hayward looks like he's not even ready to be out there. I mean, it just there's a lot of dudes. I haven't even gotten to Rozier, but how are they going to figure this thing out? Well, listen, man, what happens when you give uh, like a five-year-old ice cream as a habit before dinner, right? And then and then all of a sudden, you know, you decide you're going to change the rules on them because that's kind of what happened with some of these young guys, and. And that's an adjustment, man. Like you can, it's easy to just say to Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier, "Hey, man, listen. You know, I know how it was for you last year. 
and we needed that because we had guys out, and you guys got much more responsibility than you probably you know, should have gotten, and you took advantage of it, and you played great. But now we got some new dudes, and we got extra, and so now you guys are going to have to just eat a little bit less and still be just as happy as long as we're winning, right? That's, 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 it's easy to just say that. But, and everybody that says that the only thing that should matter is winning is a joke. Because, you know, as a professional athlete, I can tell you right now, that's not the only thing that matters. It, it, it matters, and it should matter a lot. If you're competitive, you definitely want to win. Every player cares also about doing their thing. I mean, that, it does matter to guys. Like, touches, shots, minutes, money, those things matter. And so now you've got a situation where it looks great on paper because they're so deep. But when you have an entire roster and no one is playing as well as they have historically offensively, and even even the guys like like a guy like Tatum last year, whose numbers might look better right now than he did in the regular season last year, he's not he's not playing the way he did in the playoffs last year. So even a guy like that right. takes a step back. Obviously, Brown and Rozier, Hayward is a shell of what he used to be right now as he's trying to come back from whatever it is. Kyrie's been just okay. You know, Morris has been okay. So their whole roster is underachieving offensively. And I personally believe it will happen, and I think they're going to be a second-half team that's going to really take off. And once they figure it out and, and they really get into a rhythm where they are winning consistently and guys are buying in, I think this is a team that still, to me, is the favorite. Um, now, look, you can revisit this at Christmas, and if it's still in the doldrums and no one's really playing great, I'll readjust that. But right now, I just think it's, it's taking time here at the beginning because there's a massive adjustment for a lot of guys at the same time, and that's a hard thing to work through. At the top of the East, we got Milwaukee and Toronto, Toronto right now. I love the way Toronto's looked. It's It's been very seamless. Um, is there any doubt for you that it's not real with them? Is there a part of you that looks at Milwaukee and says, I'm not sure if this is real? Like, How do you feel about the other teams that actually are at the top of the East as opposed to Boston we thought we would be up there? No, I think it's very real in both cases. Um for Toronto, I think it's, you know, you, you, got, you bring in a guy to Kawhi, the way that he plays is an easy guy to incorporate, right? So there were some personal lingering things with, you know, DeRozan leaving. But Kawhi Leonard is such a good dude and a good good teammate. And, you know, despite what happened last year, he, it's going to be easy to, like, you know, play with the guy, like playing with the guy. You see the way he lays it on the line defensively. He's not hard to adjust to. So they've, they've done that. And then you look at the improvement of guys like Siakam. You look at what Danny Green has meant to that team. Um, you know, one of the most under, understated, you know, guys in the league that changed teams was Danny Green. We didn't really talk about him at all in that. It was all about Leonard and DeRozan. Danny Green is a guy that can really guard. He's used to playing with Kawhi. He's a really good shooter. He's taken a lot of big shots in his life. So that, that addition, and for me, the biggest question mark for that team was the head coach. And he's, He's got them playing great basketball, so I guess he's right now he's answering that that bell as well. So for me, they're absolutely real. They have a player now in the same spot that DeRozan played that could beat you in a lot of different ways, not just getting 25 or 30. That was DeRozan's thing. He's a professional scorer. Kawhi can do that. He can also beat you by getting 12 rebounds. He can just be more the most physical guy on the court. He can obviously lock down a bunch of guys. So they just have more ways to beat you now, and then some of the other guys have improved. And then Danny Green, I think, is a really underrated player in Milwaukee same that their depth some of the guys they added they've added a little bit of a grit to that team that I really like um, and we know how great Antetokounmpo is so I think they're both legit they're going to be right there you know they're obviously going to be top four teams it's just a matter of how's it going to play out with Philly Boston 
you know, Indiana's still in the mix there. Like, how are those teams going to sort it out? There's no doubt in my mind Milwaukee's real, and they're going to be a very difficult team to beat, whoever gets them in the postseason. It does feel like, too, with Budenholzer's system that, I mean, it sounds simple to go, oh, hey, just have everything revolve around Giannis. But it actually does feel like that now, where the spacing around it is incredible. They're second only to Houston. They're taking 43s a game. And they're hitting yeah. 37%. Houston's hitting. So Houston takes 42 threes a game. They take 40 threes a game. Houston's at 33%. Milwaukee's at 37%. When I watch them, it's a spread it, let Giannis decide. And it's a little bit like that Houston thing where you feel like you've got to stay glued. And since Giannis can carry and travel whenever he wants on top of being able to dunk on everyone, um, it's, it's kind of like, it's this really impossible thing at times. And I, and I wonder if it'll be this thing where teams will start to say, whatever we do, we have to slow Giannis down, have him make a decision earlier so that we can't just let him get to the hoop every time and hope they stop shooting 37% from three. But it is, it's very real when you watch them offensively going, okay, I see what they're trying to do here. And it, the stats back yeah. up. And I think, I think, you know, another guy, you talk about guys that found a really good fit, you know, that changed teams, Brooke Lopez. Is, a, is is in a perfect spot, right? So he's he's been maligned throughout his career because he doesn't rebound for a center, but he's a good offensive player. And and but you know he kind of scored all over the place. Now he's just saying, hey man, if I can just stand out here, are you kidding me? I could take six, eight, ten on some nights, open threes, draw my uh, shot blocking defender who's probably going to be the opposing center who's guarding me, who has to protect against Giannis's penetration. He's got to be now wary of me. We're going to be a real problem. Bledsoe's playing great. It's it's is actually some of the best I've ever seen Eric Bledsoe play. I'm not a big Eric Bledsoe fan. He's he's been really good. Ilya Silva's been a really nice pickup for them. I think DiVincenzo was a guy I loved coming out. Who's a nice energy guy who can shoot the ball off the bench. And then Chris Middleton might be the most. He's he's got to be one of the top five most underrated players in the NBA for what he does because he is so consistent in his production. Um, so, for, and I love Budenholzer. So, I think they're legit, man. I, I you know, I watched the Bucks. What they did to the, to the Warriors out in Oracle, that was one of the most impressive performances on both ends of the floor any team has put on the Warriors during the Steph Curry era. Yeah, that wasn't really much. Of, I mean, it was sort of like, all right, you guys think you're going to come back in the third quarter? Nope. Like we're gonna we're gonna do our thing. And don't leave out Pat Connaughton either. I know I know you didn't want to do that. that. No, I never would be that crap. I'm going to mention DiVincenzo. Connaughton would be offended that I would yeah, go right. with just the one white guard off the bench and not include both. Coming up next with legs, five questions. But first, you guys know that I've talked about the investing stuff, making fun of me at times. I wish I had known more when I was younger. I still wish I knew more. There's times where I've downloaded different apps and try to use stuff. And I'll admit, like sometimes it's really confusing and super intimidated. But now Robinhood has an app for you. It's a new investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, right? Not just the wealthy. Non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. Simple and intuitive. A clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. So here's how this thing works. There's no cost or commission fees, okay? So other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You trade stocks and you keep all of your profits. It's easy to understand with charts, market data, and you can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. 
Robinhood's web platform allows you to view stock collections like the 100 Most Popular, different sectors, entertainment, social media, and also curated categories like female CEOs and analyst ratings of buy, hold, sell for every stock. So the best thing I think about this is that if you've been intimidated, if you're afraid in the past, Robinhood's a great way to get this thing started. You learn how to invest as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, and track favorite companies with personalized newsfeed and custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood's giving listeners a free stock like Apple Ford uh, to help build your portfolio. So sign up at Rosillo. So that's me, Rosillo.robinhood.com. That's Rosillo.robinhood.com. Five questions with the 1996 NBA three-point shot contest winner, Tim Legler. So in honor of the, the dream on KD thing, which I think we both here say, you know, as bad as it may have looked, it's not the end of the world and this stuff happens. Which teammates hated each other the most that you played with? Don McLean and Juwan Howard. Uh, you know, Don McLean was a guy that came out of UCLA, was a, like a big time scorer, had a really good, you know, early start to his career. He lit up, man. And then they yeah. go, they go and draft Juwan Howard at the same position and they had to guard each other every day in practice and it was a war. And how much better was Juwan? Yeah, Juwan was Juwan, Juwan was a lot better. I mean, he was just he was just you know a little bit stronger, more physical, more well-rounded offensively, a little tougher. Um, but I'll give you what Don did. Don did back then. Don could go no, anybody offensively. Don is a tough guy. Like I mean, he was no, he I, could, and he could. Yeah, he could go at anyone and like hold his own. And like if they got the trash talking and you're in a scrimmage in practice. Don McLean was going to get his buckets. There was no question about that. But obviously, Juwan was their lottery pick. They were going to make sure that, you know, Juwan was going right. to get every opportunity in the world. So they were, they were fighting for turf on a daily basis. Okay. Speaking of trash. And then I probably put, I probably put myself and Tony Campbell next. <laughs> didn't you guys, did one of you guys hit the other? We scrapped a little bit. I mean, I wasn't really, didn't really throw punches, but it got ugly out of, I'll never forget it. It was at a practice on an off day, ironically, in Oakland. We were going to play the Warriors. So, wait a minute. And you still don't like him, right? Uh, I haven't seen him. I don't think since, since he left, since we left and parted ways playing in Dallas. We were on a really bad team, and he and I were the two scorers off the bench. And I understood that. You know, you kind of need to play with other players at times, and that means not just shoot every time you get the ball. I understood that concept. He struggled with that concept. And so, for me, that was taking food off my table. As a guy that was trying to establish myself in the league, I didn't like the ball not getting swung when I was the obvious next look, and it was probably you know 75% chance I was going to make an open three. There you go. Okay, I went a little long there. That was me, my fault on follow-up questions. Okay, uh, no speaking of trash talk, the worst thing anyone ever said to you on the court? Oh, my God. Well, I probably – I don't think the worst trash talk I ever received was in the CBA because I was I was leading the league in scoring in a league that was, you know, 90% African-American. And I, I was challenged in a way that I had never been challenged before in my life. I was averaging like 27 a game in Omaha as before I got picked up and got out of there. And I, the stuff I would hear, I mean, it would start right lining up for the jump ball circle. Not tonight, white boy. You know, a lot of that kind of stuff. And, yeah. uh, what they didn't understand was I had the greenest of green lights and there was no possible way that they were going to be able to win that battle because of the freedom that I had on the team I played on. Okay. Best teammate you ever had. Wow, so many. That's a really tough call. I would say the late, great 
two of them, if I can. One in Dallas, the late great three. One in each team. One in my each main team. Golden State, Chris Mullen. No doubt about it. My boy and taught me a lot about being a pro and what work ethic was all about. I can't even comprehend how many hours we spent at the arena working out together beyond practice in the games. Taught me a lot. Still to this day, one of my really good friends. In Dallas, there was a late great Sean Rooks. Uh, he was a kid from Arizona, uh, yeah. center, really good, good young, big young player. Big we were back team, and he? he was a really good player. He passed away. He was actually an assistant coach in the league, and he was he was an assistant for the Sixers. And he actually he actually passed away had a heart attack and died at a restaurant in Philadelphia a few years ago. Um, tragic, tragic story. And then in Washington, I would say probably Calvert Cheney. Calvert Cheney, okay. That's good. All right. I actually had a Mullen question in here, so two more. Who is a better shooter, you or Chris Mullen? <laughs> I'm never there, – there's, there's, no, there's nobody you could ever mention in that sentence against me that I would say, oh, yeah, I can't I can't hang with that guy. I'm, you know, No, I believe I'm a better shooter than anybody. I mean, obviously Chris Mullen was a Hall of Famer. And he is a Hall of Famer, and he, you know, he, he, he could do things on the court that I couldn't do at the NBA level. But if you're talking about any sort of, you know, stand here, let's – that's that's let's shoot. How many are you going to make? Both take the same number of shots. I, I just don't believe there's anybody on earth that was going to beat me in my prime. Okay, final one. Then, if you are in your prime, what's your annual salary in today's NBA? Oh my God. Um, well, Jimmy Butler would probably be asking me to like borrow some money. No I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I would say probably. Well, look, I got me fifteen. 15, 18 million. Are you yeah. better than Reddick? Uh, you know, Reddick Reddick got 23, but that was a one-year deal. Right, then he got like, 12 That was a half. weird thing. Right. Yeah, it yes. was a weird thing. Like Now he's making half. So, you know, if you're shooting, and I look at what I did, like, you know, my last two years, you know, my last year in Golden State, the first year in Washington, I was 52% for the three-point line two years in a row before I got hurt at 29. If I did that, you know, and I'm, I was a free agent, I was healthy, and like that was the way the league was at the time, the way it is now. Yeah, man, you know you're looking at it. You're looking at a really, really valuable commodity that championship teams would want to really help their star players. So yeah, you know, you know that twelve to fifteen million a year range. Thanks for bringing that? it up. I never think yeah. about that. Man, there you go. Uh, end on a positive. Thanks as always, Lex. Yeah, anytime. Okay, coming up here in a second, we have the debut of Saruti's NBA Observations, the Magic Minute, the Saruti Minute. I, I know we have production for it. I'm very excited. But I just want to get one sort of PSA, just a message out there. And this is for the lip readers. You suck at it. You're so bad. Once again, the storyteller rooting for the story that doesn't exist because it's better. The lip reading with Gus Malzahn when Auburn lost to Georgia – and everybody retweeted it, and it was everyone saying, like, I don't know. I mean, some people were trying to sell, and it was captioned that way. Gus Malzahn saying, they better not fire me. No. He'd gotten a huge argument, was yelling at the refs, and he said, they better not find me. Nobody would do, they better not fire me on the sideline. I mean, maybe Jerry Glanville or somebody like that would do it. I don't think Gus would do it. Um, he definitely is saying, they better not find me. But even worse, even worse for the lip readers out there was after the Draymond KD fight, People saying that Katie walking away from it was saying, that's why I'm out of here. It's so obvious that he says, that bleep wild, man. But yet, you get the retweets. Okay, this is your time to shine. It took too long. It took too long for us to do this. All right, so we got what? Five observations, right? They're actually observations slash questions mostly to you. 
People have been demanding this. Let's they want it. to hear from you. You know what's weird? There's no magic ones in the first five, unfortunately. But we can did we talk ch- magic earlier. Well, let's let's run through the production for what it's called now, and then can we just test pilot this deal on just uh, I don't even know if that makes any sense, but just get, I want next week's production just to say Steve's magic minute. <laughs> okay. It sounds kind of funny. Okay, a little a little sexually. Speaking of sex, have you seen Whoa. the new ED ads from Snoop Dogg? Where he's selling ED meds. Yeah. But he basically says like, hey, Snoop Dogg's cool with the, with, you know, the downstairs medicine, but maybe you have an issue with it. Like, all right. So it, it's bad enough I got to order it, but now I got to make Snoop, Snoop Dogg's making fun of me. Yeah. It's always an awkward thing to say yeah. because like, do, are you endorsing it if you do use it? No, it's like Snoop was like, I'll do your mail order deal here for ED medicine, but you got to just, Snoop Dogg's got to let the world know yeah. that Snoop Dogg doesn't suffer from this affliction. I get that. And it's it's just not something so... dudes talk about. <laughs> no, I know. And or like, even want people to know about. I got pitched it to read it for something else, and I said no, because I just knew people were going to make fun of me. Yeah. So, anyway. Lose-lose. Um, Lose-lose. All right, this is a win-win. It's time for a Saruti NBA Minute. Wow. All right, here we go. Ready? First one. Okay. Uh, I'm ready to give up on the T-Wolves. Um... It's, it has nothing to do with Butler. It has to do with I don't. I, I wanted Wiggins so bad before that draft to be a Magic player. I, want, I he was the one guy I wanted. Everyone was saying this is the Canadian. He's the next Jordan. I am just totally off that train. And and honestly, I'm starting to get there with Carl Anthony Towns too. Which whoa. Brings, which brings me to my next point, which is also T Wolves related. Is Tom Thibodeau the Carmelo Anthony of coaches? <laughs> Um, all right, expand on that. So, I, I think I like the intro. Ten years ago, everybody wants this guy. He's, you know, top, Thibs was what, a top three coach when he was with the Bulls easily. I mean, this is before he started Let's running through the ground. Let's say top five. Top five, okay. Everybody loved Tibbs. He was hard, you know, all his teams played super hard, blah, 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 blah. And the league Both just has, hard. and now in 2018, the league is just sort of passed him by. I don't think anybody wants Tom Thibodeau as a coach, correct? It's the same thing as Carmelo Anthony. Like, the guy was awesome, and then the league all of a sudden just changed, and he never adapted to it either, and both of these guys look like they're dinosaurs. This is an incredible, incredible analogy. Did you pitch this to Will Kane, and did he use it? No, no, this isn't stuff for Will Kane. No, no, no. This what? is just, this well, is just no, for the idea. All you had to do was say, is Mello, are Mello and Tibbs the new Rod Marinelli's <laughs> of the NBA? You know what, throw Rod in there, his boy. Oh, wait, so Cowboys wait a minute. You had Aikman and Witten on that show in the same week? Yeah, Aikman that kid, that kid doesn't need any ED meds. No, no, no. <laughs> well, Witten, you know, Witten obviously Monday Night Football. That's uh, a great get because Gruden, no one could get him. Well, yeah, but Witten wants to do a bunch of stuff. And actually, Tess does a ton of stuff, too. Tess is the man. Tess brought in, like, Italian pastries. Those guys are awesome. The only guy we haven't had is Booger. You haven't had, but Booger and well, I are hanging out. Uh, I think I think Booger and I are getting together this weekend. Booger randomly calls into the show because he does listen sometimes. That's when we get Booger, <laughs> which I actually prefer better because then he's like fired up and he wants to tell Will why he's wrong. Like when hey, he told us the Cowboys are going to suck. Do you ever get pitched to have me on anymore, or is that sort of like a thing where it's like to let Will grow? Let's not have Ryan on. No, I mean I know you were. I, well, first off, I was away for a couple weeks, but. Um, no, we never, that, that's, I mean, we don't, we don't get memos around the company saying, hey, well, let's put Priscilla on more, but no, there, there's no, there is no, look, and I don't mean to say that is like anybody cares, cause I'll never forget like one former ESPNer sat down with Van Pelt and I to do a Super Bowl radio hit once, and he did this whole dramatic thing of like, are the lights going off or the alarms going on back on Bristol? And we're like, no, dude, no, you know, like nobody cares. So I didn't mean it that way for me. What I meant, like, I think sometimes, 
Like, I was supposed to have Van Pelt on more when I went and did Rosillo Canel, and then there was even a conversation it's like to have Ryan grow should Scott be yeah, on all no, the that's time. real. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if I wasn't on to be like, let's not have Ryan on every freaking week now that Will has his own show, you know? I Stephen think it's H- funny that there's still some guys that think, like, you guys don't like each other. I know. And, I mean, it's never happened. It's, there's never been, you know, again, to me, Will doesn't have my slot. So. Or, you, you know, what's funny, too, is the guys that blame the guys that blame Will for, for kicking you out. That's even weirder. Yeah. It's actually I, really annoying. Like, you're, I, if you're listening and you're that guy right now, like, you're dumb and that's not. Yeah, I always get the sense Will preferred me staying. I mean, I think you guys both like each other a ton. It's just you were in different parts well, of your career. Ton? I'm just kidding. Um, I would like to come on and talk hoops, but I also, cause I was like, wait a minute, I haven't been on since like July, but then I don't, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't want to call in. I called in that one time a month ago. And I asked you if you wanted to go on. You said no. <laughs> Cause I was going to a meeting. Oh, a lot sure, of meetings sure, out sure. here. Yeah. yeah. Just real important stuff. That was the guy that called in that said he felt it was dismissive that Drew Brees didn't mention yeah. his daughter and yeah. all his sons. Yeah. There was a worse follow up to that that I'm going to go ahead and skip now, but uh, it was okay. all right. on Twitter. I all just right. ruined the magic minute. Number three, minutes. real quick. Yeah. Well, these, so these room. are like mostly, these are more questions slash observations for me. I think the Mavs, uh, I don't think Dennis Smith Jr. and Doncic are going to work. I agree. I think they're going to, I mean, and obviously it's pretty obvious which one you're going to pick. Um, yes. and I don't know. I, I feel like I like Dennis Smith Jr. I just never know if he's going to be a good player on a good team or is he always, is he always going to be a good player on a bad team? Like, is he Monte Ellis? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Dennis Smith Jr. is going to be a guy that's a tough fit for a lot of people. And that's a, bu- and that's, that's sort of a bummer. Uh, number four. Uh, I am not caught up in the Zion Williamson hype. This is a little NBA draft stuff for you. Oh, and I want, I cause it. I want, I wanted to ask you about this cause I get nervous about the guy who is a dominant athlete in college and uses his athleticism to just be other guys. Like I'm not saying he's Joey Dorsey, but he's, <laughs> he's, no, no, I love the Joey Dorsey <laughs> pool. I kind of liked him in Memphis. No, I know, but, and that guy was just a man amongst boys and Zion is clearly a man amongst, amongst boys in college right now. But I am a little bit worried about like how that translates to the NBA. I'm gonna I want to be out there first on this. Although there are a lot of people that say they like Reddish and Barrett better as pro prospects, right? I could see Barrett. Yeah, I mean, let's. I mean, the thing with Zion is it's so just aesthetically pleasing. Oh, it's, like, it's incredible. You watch it, and you go, oh my god. I think like that freeze frame of him the other night with his head over the rim, and you're just like, God, I would play pickup basketball. Every well, granted, I wouldn't if I had millions in the line, but you know what I mean. Like if you were just that physically imposing, I would, I would be just driving around with black sheep on, with all the windows down, and just showing up to courts and going, "I'm here to destroy your souls." Did I see too that was it? Was it LSU that offered him a scholarship to play football? Uh, I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I thought the Clemson thing was that if they got him to Clemson, that Clemson was going to ask him to play DM. But the weird thing is, with their well, the five D-line, technique, he's a great. I All right, in a, I could see him in a wide nine. Last one. This is for our boy Jimmer Fredette. I don't know if you saw, he scored seventy five points in China. Saw him um, DMing with him regularly. Oh, great, I love it. Yes. I love that he follows he's, me. Like we're I, I, like we're friends. It's awesome. He loves you. Yeah, he's. The, I mean, I love Jimmer. I can't get enough of him. So I wanted to ask you this question because I think Jimmo. So I think this is, is if Jimmer Fredette was in college now and was coming into the NBA as a prospect, would he be? Would, would the NBA be more open to him as a player, and would it work out this time? Yeah, I think it, they would be more open to him. 
But I always thought the one the one problem he was going to have is that he was like whenever somebody gets to do whatever they want in college, I go, okay, he's going to have to find a different way to contribute. And he's such a terrific athlete, like he can do whatever he wants in China. By the way, if you want to check out the Wonton Don's footage, uh, he's one of the barstool guys, but his videos are. Don't watch him with the kids, but I, I think the guy's hilarious. He's from Mass. He lives in Shanghai. He's been over there for a while now. Um, he must think I'm a clown because I DM'd him and said, hey, this stuff's great. And he was like, yeah, thanks, dude, whatever. <laughs> um, but he's a huge – he's a Shanghai Sharks season ticket holder. So they did the first ever – they say don't tailgate because of smog in, in, in Shanghai. So he's a huge um, Sharks fan, season tickets. And he's got the Boston accent. It's really funny. I just think the content is hysterical. Maybe the kid sucks, but I, I don't know. His videos are terrific. And, um, again, I don't think he sucks, but I just, I think the stuff's really funny. So I get to see some of this stuff because he's up close and personal doing Jimmer videos all the time. And then I DM Jimmer after he drops 75 on Pick a City because I can't. Remember. I don't know. Was that it? Or do you have one more? No, that was five. It was five. All right. So, so like I said, more some some more questions are just like open ended questions than others, but I think that's kind of. I love the Tibbs thing. I just started writing things down. You can't get that on Cowboys Radio. No, unfortunately, no. Although we did talk Doncic, I told you that. You know what you should do is you should do. I I do unfortunately still think of a lot of like when your brain was programmed to think of ideas for all day. Like I have too many, um, and then I'm you know I'm like I don't have to do this anymore. Stop thinking about it. But uh. I think it'd be great to come up with the best analogies and worst analogies because I think that's a great one. And then off the mellow is he is Tibbs the coaching mellow, then come up with the worst version of that. Cuz that's funny. I'm all in. Right? Actually, we used one of those ideas that you that remember you texted me about the uh Bama Golden State thing. We you used, used that? Of course yeah. we did. It's a good idea. I'm not going to let it go to waste. Bama Golden State's a good one because I think did most people pick Bama? I believe most people. I'm trying to think. We asked a guest about this. And by the way, the question is this: is who's a more who's more of a lock to win a championship in their current season, Golden State or Alabama? And for me, it's Golden State because it's best of seven. I mean, in, in one game, as dominant as Bama is, anything can happen. You know. All right, boom, boom.